Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We are in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox if you want to get into the conversation. Canucks win last night over the Anaheim Ducks. And there is a seemingly universal anger to the Canucks falling to 10th best lottery odds today. Or, I guess, last night after their win sat. Yeah, uh, I mean, fans want the best chance possible at getting Connor Bedard and also as good a pick as possible. And uh, right now, it looks like the Vancouver Canucks might end up with the 10th or 11th pick, depending on what happens here in the final game of the season. Yeah, against the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, St. Louis still has a couple of games remaining. Um, you know, Washington, Detroit don't have, uh, let's say, the most winnable games upcoming either. And both teams have been really poor lately. So it is looking as though the Canucks may end up right where they are. And potentially even lower than where they currently are, which is not great. Nobody is trying to say that it's better to have a smaller percentage chance at the number one pick. I'm not going to try and tell you that it is a good thing that they fell from eighth to tenth. Because, yes, having the eighth overall pick is better than having the tenth overall pick or wherever they may end up. But I disagree with the notion that the Canucks have done something so terribly bad by winning games down the stretch here. And not that they've tried to win games. Of course, players, coach, we always say this, they're always going to try and win. Mm -hmm. But I'm just missing what everybody else seems to be seeing, that the Canucks could have done more to tank outside of one major thing. And that is play Thatcher Demko less. And we're going to talk to Kevin Woodley today, but they've essentially just played Demko the way they would play Demko if he was healthy to start the season and everything was normal. And I disagree with that. Maybe they should have rested him a little bit more, played him in fewer games. Heck, when Demko first returned, we talked about him playing 10 to 12. Instead, he's ended up playing 17 of these final 22 games since he returned. But there's just not much for me outside of that that they could have done to stop themselves from winning more games. Agree or disagree? I mean, it's a damn cool thing that's the big thing, right? Maybe you can play him a couple fewer games. I don't know if playing Demko two or three fewer games changes things dramatically unless you finish with a 10th or 11th. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there was a realistic chance for you to catch Arizona. They're sitting there at 69 points, maybe 71 at the end. Or I think Philadelphia. At, well, maybe Philly, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe Philly, right? But I think for you to catch Philly, things would have had to go on completely awry. So we'll see ultimately, do the Canucks end up with a 9th, 10th, or 11th pick? If they end up with a 9th pick, Really, what they ended up going from was at best seventh to now ninth. So yeah. it's a difference of two spots. 
if that ends up happening. So that's like, it's not the worst case scenario. And really, if we really- Which is one and a half percent total. Yeah. Total. But it's more about picking a little bit higher. You're in yes. the seventh instead of being ninth. But still, like that's the difference we're talking about. And to me, if we get to that stage at the end of it, there's a lot of hand-wringing over two spots. And sure, like it's significant, mm-hmm. but to the degree people are making it out to be. Because if you've played Demko three fewer games, let's say you lose all three of those games. Yeah. The gap's still 10 points, <laughs> 12 points with you in Arizona. Yeah. So take six away. You're still six back. Mm-hmm. Take Let's take four, right? Yeah. How many are you back now? You're still four back of Arizo- yeah. above Arizona. Mm-hmm. So you're not catching Arizona. So again, best case we're talking about here is seventh, mm-hmm. the seventh pick. But to me, all this stuff we're talking about, it's it's not that, like, it's all, I get it. Like, hey, ideally, I'm with you. I'd, I'd rather play Demko a, few, a few, couple fewer games, and hopefully you ensure your bottom 10 yep. team instead of maybe being 10th or 11th. Like, I'm there with you. To me, though, the only thing you could have done different was the whole coaching situation with Boudreaux ahead of time. Like, to me, like, all the stuff that's happened since the deadline... It's yeah. not like to me, nothing is super out of the ordinary. Yeah, the minutes are a bit higher, but I don't think it has the difference making impact in the standings mm-hmm. potentially as you making the coaching change to begin with. Yeah. And we'll get back to that in a second because another thing that everybody talks about is the Canucks bought at the deadline. How many games did Philip Peronic play? Four. Okay. They now, were 3 0 and 1 in those games, but right. it was just four games. Yeah, he played four games. They did everything else in terms of selling and trading, yep. but Peronic wasn't brought in to help. This year, yes. he was brought in for long term. Was injured when they traded for him. Plays four games, he got shut down. Yep, they're like, "We, you look good, happy, okay, all right, you're done for four Go games. Go get ready for next year." Exactly right. So he's now done for uh, he's now done for the year. That didn't make a big difference. The St. Louis Blues traded for Jacob Verena, who's scoring points for them. They picked up Kasperi Kapanen off waivers, who's mm-hmm. playing well for them. Yep. The Washington Capitals traded for Rasmus Sandin. Yep. Traded four Rasmus, gave up a first round pick to get Rasmus Sandin. So they sold a bunch and then they also right. bought. They all they also traded one of the first round picks that they collected and ended up going to get Rasmus Sandin. And he has 14 points in 18 games. Yeah, I think. he's been really good. But nobody's talking about it because nope. the Capitals have sucked. Yeah. Right? So I don't think any of that's out of the ordinary. Where all this kind of comes back to is you had a chance at maybe ensuring a bottom seven team if you didn't mess with the coach this year. So the schedule is the schedule. It was yeah. always going to get easier in this final third of the season, no matter who mm-hmm. was coaching, whether it's Rick Tockett or anybody else. If the Canucks had stayed the course with whomever was coaching, they probably still have a decent record. Maybe not, you know, the 98-point pace they've been on since Rick Tockett took over. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if they'd be anywhere close to where they are right now. If they were still with Boudreaux? Yeah. I think they're well. They got to a point with Boudreaux; it was untenable. Well, that's like, the if they issue. weren't going to bring in Rick Tockett, they would have had to bring in some kind of an interim. Well, again, that's my point. The issue was how you let the Boudreaux thing get away from you, right? That's where all this comes back to me for, right? Because once, to your point, it became untenable. You had to make the move. People were yelling, "Is like, why haven't you fired Boudreaux yet?" Well, right? yeah, the same people that are yelling now. Why did you make like, oh, look at the Canucks getting that coaching bump? Nobody else made a coaching change. It's like. Well, everybody, everybody's saying, get him. But everybody was kind of on the same page. Boudreaux had to go. And I agree with that. He had to go. At that point, it was untenable. Yeah. He had to make the change, right? But why did it become untenable? Management's fault. To some extent. And Boudreaux wears, I mean, there's a Boudreaux lot of. Boudreaux wears some of it, sure. There, there's a lot of, there is a lot of criticism to go around. Yeah. But Rutherford himself has said he wishes he wasn't as honest with the media. Mm-hmm. 
i.e. on Canuck Central. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think, you know, it became very clear because of the public statements that were made yeah. that Boudreaux wasn't their guy. Mm-hmm. That hung over them the whole season, yeah. right? And every time Rutherford had a chance, when asked about it, he let it be known. He let it be known. Again, like he could have like cooled it or whatever, but he let it be known. He was honest. And hey, you know, God bless him for being honest. Yes. But what happened was it became untenable because in a Canadian market, when you keep saying you're not sold on the coach, people are going to talk about it and yes. it becomes this massive situation. That's where all this went awry. Because if if you just continue with the Boudreaux year mm-hmm. and it doesn't get that bad, but it's clear things aren't working, it's clear he's dead man walking then I don't think they have the spark. And maybe they do finish strong, but I don't think they're sitting here at 500, especially with the way they were playing and how bad the vibes were. Mm -hmm. I think that was your best chance of ensuring a bottom-end pick. You could still make trades at the deadline, but it would have been a toxic environment, and it wouldn't have been a good situation. But that's the only way I see, logically speaking, for you to maybe ensure a bottom six, a bottom seven team this year because i know people like andrew and victoria are saying you could have played guys less on the power play and all that i get it but to me that's marginal stuff mm-hmm. the impact that that changed things was everybody feeling better when the coaching change was made yeah those are and the structure coming in with it that's what really made the team take another step all this other stuff we're talking about is quibbling a few points here a few points there yeah but it's not gonna like i said we're talking about maybe seventh maybe eighth that's the difference we're talking about here so i'm not sold on the structure thing anymore because it's it's it, it hasn't uh, been there for the last couple of weeks. No, no. Hey, I'm I'm with you in terms of sold on it sticking. Like, but in total play- for the like the totality of Tockett's mm-hmm. tenure now, like the Canucks are pretty much below average in almost every metric. Well, they they don't have a great roster for sure. For sure, but the players are in right spots, not having success in the right spots. They okay. weren't even in the right spots before. Yeah, that's not to say that they're excelling. I'm with you. Yeah, but when we talk about structure, and we remember we talked to Tockett about this too at the Dice and Ice event, and we said. You know, there's there's one thing about being in your own spot. And, yep. and the Canucks weren't even in the right spot before. But once you're in your right spot, how do you actively defend? Right. You know, and we talk about threat assessment. And you talk about closing out on guys and yep. making sure which lanes to take away. The guy will be in the right spot and then not do the right thing. They'll be in the right battle, but they're not winning the right battle. Right. And that's where the shortcoming is. But at least the coach can only tell them to be make sure they're in the right spot. But he can't bring the will into the player to win a battle yep. or make him think and react the right way. That becomes an inherent flaw or something you have or don't have or you have to work on. And that's something this team has to improve. Ultimately, the biggest reason for the Canucks playing better and accruing more points and having a chance to have an above 500 season here if they win tomorrow Mm -hmm. is Thatcher Demko. Yeah. In total, so before Demko returned, the Canucks record was 5-6-2 under Rick Tockett. Yeah. Since Demko has returned... They are 14, 6, and 2. That is a 111-point pace for the season. Demko, only four goalies have played more than Demko since he's returned from injury. That's UC Saros, Jacob Markstrom, Alexander Georgiev, and Connor Hellebuck. Mm-hmm. He is seventh in goals saved value added. And everything about Demko has allowed this team to win a lot more games than they were earlier this season. As a team, their save percentage of 5-on-5 has gone from 32nd Mm -hmm. before Demko got back in the lineup to top 10 and the 5-on-5 save percentage since Demko returned. It's true, and Delia's been better too. Delia's 2-2 Yeah, in the four games that he started, and he's played pretty well in those games. So I just kind of... 
I throw my hands up because you can list all these things and say all these things like, oh, they did this and they yeah. did that. They should have they shouldn't have played Hughes so much. Sure, maybe not. Eric Carlson's playing 30 minutes a night. That's not helping the San Jose Sharks win any games. Yeah. No, for sure. Other guys are playing more than 25 minutes a night. You look at Clayton Keller. He's playing literally almost 25 minutes a night as a forward with the Arizona Coyotes. And he's putting up close to 90 points on the year. It's not helping them win games lately. Mm -hmm. No. So you can't say, oh, the Canucks are doing this and nobody else is doing that. Nobody else below the Canucks is doing that. You're leaving out a large contingent of the teams below the Canucks. Or you're picking and choosing which teams you want to look at and compare the Canucks to. There is, there's always cherry picking to fit narratives. Right. And, 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 I, and I'm not saying everybody's doing that because I do think there is an earnest take here in terms of like what you should have prioritized and yeah. how you could have got there and how you put yourself in the best position this year and how everything got away from you. But I do think when we're comparing, hey, like no other team did this. And it's like, well, other teams did this. Other teams did that. Like you went over the, the ice time. And I went over this on the post game show. You go over the top 10 defensemen in the league in ice time. Yeah. Half of them are, are, are on bad teams. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Because they don't have, they have a good defenseman, and nobody else. So they yes. play a lot of minutes. Right. It's kind of what keeps happening, right? Like it, it's pretty obvious. And so... I can't get too... And again, like, what's the difference in points we're talking about here? When it comes to player deployment, yeah, we're talking about four to six points potentially. Mm -hmm. and, and it matters to some degree, right? Like, it does matter. But is that going to be the difference ultimately this year? And we'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow. If the Canucks end up with the ninth pick, like, it wouldn't have made a difference. Mm -hmm. Now, if they end up with the 11th pick, you can look back and say, hey... Those four, six points, that's a difference it made. Like, literally, you lose one more game, and you would have been sitting there with the ninth pick, right? Yeah. So we'll see how, how that all goes. But in terms of the process of what the organization did, they didn't buy to help the team at the deadline. No. You can quibble with usage of players, but they shut guys down. They traded Horvat, traded Lazar, traded Luke Shen. They yeah. shut Luke Shen down for like 10 or two weeks before he got traded. Yeah. We're even playing him games. Yep. They could have brought back OEL. Yeah. He wanted to come back. OEL essentially told us on an intermission that yeah. he wanted to come back. And like JT had the injury and, and everything we heard then was, hey, he, you know, he may be gone for a couple of weeks and maybe shuts it down. I think the team wanted him to do it. He's like, no, I'm good. Well, that's the other thing. He wants to play. The idea of just like, oh, shut your players down. Well, they, they have to want to be shut down. Yeah. You think Elias Pettersson wants to be shut down as he's trying to chase down 100 points and be eligible for a $90 million contract this summer? Yeah. You think JT Miller... Even though he already secured the bag, guy has no interest in not playing hockey games unless he legitimately cannot play hockey games. So there's only so much you can actually do when it comes to that. Now, other players, sure, basically every player has some kind of an injury. It's just about their willingness to either get shut down and get ready for next year yeah. or wanting to keep playing and if you really want to like if you really want to enforce a point of putting the best team together here yeah well wouldn't you be calling up hoaglander and having him play mm -hmm. wouldn't you you know have the college guys play less you know yeah. and hiroshi's played well but wouldn't you like my, my point being if you really wanted to win organizationally you would have done some things you haven't been doing yeah the coach and how he's using the players and how he's trying to get buy-in. And we're going to talk to Kevin Woodley coming up in a few minutes as well and get his thoughts on the Demko usage. But a couple of weeks ago, he talked about the importance of playing Demko a lot and him feeling as he's a top guy. And this was Woodley's take. So we'll talk to him about that and, and see where that's all at. Because even you talk about Darcy Kemper. Yeah. He has 14 starts. Mm -hmm. Demko has 17 in the same stretch. Yeah. 
And yeah, three fewer. But again, how much is the, those three games going to change once we get to the end of the season? And maybe it does. If the Canucks beat the Coyotes <laughs> and some of the other results don't go Vancouver's way, maybe they sit there with the 11th pick. And you have a shot at Bedard, but it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. But it's also not the end of the world. It's uh, To me, it's a false narrative that the Canucks um, could have done drastically more to enhance their chances of finishing lower in the standings like they they made their they made their intentions clear when they shut down Ilya Mikheyev at the all-star break yeah right well yeah they shut him down um the one they made the Horvat trade yep you know they did what they could I'm not sure how much more they could have done the argument I'm sure we're going to hear. Well, they should have traded Miller to Pittsburgh, and but if you're trying, okay, the goal, the, the Miller thing to me, it doesn't, it fits with their, with them trying to win. They're saying they're trying to win next year. They're, they want two centers. Yes. So trading Miller for nothing, or not nothing, but trading him for futures, if you're trying to win, it doesn't track. Like, yeah, if you if you sign Miller because you believe in Miller, and you want to win with Miller, why would you trade him to lose? Yeah. For one year, and when you need him again next year, right? If that's your philosophy with him, which it clearly is. So. There are certain things I'm willing to listen to in this argument, but I'm ju- I just want everybody. I'm going to steal one of your terms, Sat. I want people to be more intellectually honest <laughs> about the situation than I've seen most of the Discord be on the situation. Yeah. That's all lot, I'm saying. I get it, and and I do understand. There's a lot of frustration too, right, Dan? Yeah. Like there's overall frustration because this happens base. every single year. With exactly, and I see people texting in every year. Tyler's texting in. We've seen this before. You know, this this keeps happening. They win a bunch of meaningless games. It doesn't help you out. We'll see what happens with the lottery balls as well. Like, yeah. it's a lottery, and if the Canucks somehow win the the lottery, then. Hey, man, <laughs> we'll, we'll be sitting here. None of this is going to matter. None of it's going to matter. Uh, and again, uh, to reiterate you know, what Sat mentioned, too, the Washington Capitals traded for Rasmus Sandin. The St. Louis Blues traded for Jacob Vrana. They, tra- mm-hmm. they, they took Kasperi Kapanen off of waivers, even though he's got a cap hit going into next season. So the Canucks weren't alone. In I mean, the Ottawa Senators traded for Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the... the the Canucks were not alone in making moves that set themselves up for next yeah. year, get some off-season work done at this deadline. Other teams in tank mode also did that. And maybe the Canucks should have traded for Jacob Verena. He has 13 points in 18 games. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> um, so, yes, just be uh, intellectually honest about the argument. Um to steal one of Sat's terms again, I like a lot of your terms. I find that like like I steal them a lot. It's good. It's yeah. good. I mean, it means that you know multiple things can multiple be true at the, the same time. time. I mean, yeah. It's it's honestly just the the logic that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just use logic. Just use logic. Okay. It's just logic. <laughs> uh, we don't get and, and I get it. It's, it's an emotional sport, right? And yeah. being a fan is emotional connections and stuff. And and it's hard. It's hard, Dan, to overcome the hurt. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. It's over. It's hard to overcome her- failure, right? And when you've seen the same thing happen, you've seen the same signs. It's very hard for those alarm bells not to go off. So I totally understand, and that's why, like somebody texted and said, hey, "Thank you for bringing the logic and trying to talk us down here." C likes texted it. Thanks for what you guys do, and that's all we try to. I'm not even trying to talk down to anybody. It's yeah. more about like just consider all the factors, and then kind of go from there. It, again, it comes down to Thatcher Demko, and thinking about Demko. We're going to get into it a little bit more with Woodley here in a few minutes. But where the Demko discussion went from when he was injured, and it's it's like everybody started to forget a mm-hmm. little bit of just how good this guy is. Because 
he wasn't great to start the year. You wondered if maybe last year was a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back from injury. You haven't seen him in months. You've seen barely NHL-level goaltending in that time frame. He shows up, and it's like, oh, my God. We do have a really good goalie here. And Mm -hmm. all of the speculation about Demko has started to quiet because, hey, we've got a number one guy back in the lineup, and... Oh yeah, this guy's going to do a lot to help us win next year. I think the amount. the speculation about Demko and his future being somewhere other than Vancouver is essentially done mm-hmm. with how he's played over these last few weeks. Oh, absolutely. And I think when you look at the top netminders around the National Hockey League, the guys who have track record, and his has been a bit stunt broken up, right? Like he's had the injury this year, uh, and then his first year of emerging was a North Division year, and that year started with Holpe being the guy, and he kind of took yeah. that mantle away from him. So it was the last year, got hurt towards the end. This year was hurt a bit, but then at the end, plus the bubble. So it's like, it's not this this uh, real clear linear path that's like, clear ascension but there's like these super mega peaks throughout yes. right and what those mega peaks show you like we're seeing here is that he's in the same class as the best goalies in the league maybe not at where Vasilevsky is because I mean he just does it every year Vasilevsky's almost like is he like McDavid of goalies yeah he's like McDavid McCarr like there's yeah. one tier and and he's in it and then that next tier I think Sorokin and you might say this year obviously has been better, but Shesterkin, Sorokin, yeah. Shesterkin's kind of taken a bit of a, a bit of a step down, but Sorrow shows. And we'll talk to Woodley. I'd say that Demko's closer to that category. Yes, but that category is a category you don't want to you want to be in. Like yeah. that's the the elite tier of goaltending, and their their peaks. Those goalies is Vasilevsky. Yeah, they can play at that level as a peak. Vasilevsky just does it year in and year out, and does it every year in the playoffs. It's, it's just he just maintains it a lot more consistently. Yeah, whereas those guys can get there you just haven't done it with the same with the same consistency well it, it goes back to the age-old question if you if you want one goalie in the league to win you a game seven who are you picking mm-hmm. and i don't know if there's anybody picking somebody other than andre vasilevsky so that's the type of tier i think vasilevsky is in and demko is kind of in that second tier maybe at the lower end of that second tier but when he's on He's just as good as Saros or Hellebuck or the Russians. I'll just group them all together. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah coming up. Kevin Woodley's take on Thatcher Demko's finish to the season and just how good was he in this final stretch now that his season is done. You are listening to Canuck Central. Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Uh, still to come. Overrated or underrated? As uh, we get ready for a big Wednesday edition here on Canuck Central. You can get in some thoughts on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 
Still uh, a lot of reaction coming in at uh, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. They traded two first-round picks for an injured 40-point defenseman. Makes sense out of that one. How many points do you think Phillip will get on power play two? That's uh, one text coming in. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they traded for him to just for the points. I think it's about his all-around game and being a good right-hand defenseman, a guy that can anchor a, a pair on his own. And if he does those things, then he's going to be worth the price of acquisition. And that's what it comes down to. It goes yeah. beyond just you know the point production and everything. And um, he is going to be on PP2, most likely, despite the fact them trying him on the first unit with Quinn Hughes. And we'll see you next season. But as long as he's giving you a pretty decent baseline of points, five on five, and he can be a top four defenseman at a high level, then I don't worry about him not getting power play time. Keep those uh, keep those texts coming in, 650-650. Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, let's bring in the goalie guru. It's Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine and NHL.com joining us as he does every Wednesday on Canucks Central. So uh, my, my take off the top, Woodley, was uh, essentially that Demko's been the biggest reason for the Canucks Getting hot down the stretch here and uh, worsening their Connor Bedard lottery odds, even more so than the coach. I mean, the team has been 14 6 and 2 since Demko returned. That's an 11, 111 point pace. And we know he's been really good in the games that he's played, 17 of those. Um, does that track with your idea of what's made the Canucks a much better hockey team lately? I mean, I think it's a combination of the two reach. Like, you know, I think a lot of people had looked at this and said, hey, Thatcher Demko is healthy, and that's the difference between now and the beginning of the season. But Demko wasn't hurt right out of the gate, and you saw what the numbers were. Like, I think the environment here has improved significantly on the defensive end, and the combination of that and Thatcher Demko. Because, listen, after – First five, six starts, like he was at the top of the league in terms of adjusted save percentage. Since then, there's been some nice performances, but overall the numbers have tracked down even to below where they were last season in terms of his performance during this stretch relative to expected. So obviously he brings a level of confidence to the group in front of him that they were lacking. But the way they're playing also contributes to the numbers he's achieving. Like there's there's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, not to sit on the fence so hard my ass hurts, but you know, I like to assume just getting Demko back would have been the same as as if they hadn't made the coaching change and they were playing the same way they were before that change and before we saw some of this structure get implemented. You know, I I, I think that's a bit of a stretch to be honest with you. Well, I, and I think, too, like just looking at um, the importance of Thatcher Demko playing these games, too. And I know we had this discussion before about, OK, what do you do with a guy coming off an injury, especially a guy trying to find his game and confidence back and also with a new head coach? How like realistically for the discussions about limiting his starts for the end of the year, how many starts do you think you could limit? Well, I mean, like, so what? He, he's basically played a 60 game pace. Yeah. Since he came back, what is it? Seventeen to twenty-two. It'll be seventeen to twenty-three. Yeah. Um, assuming that Delia goes tomorrow night, and I don't know if that's a safe assumption, um, but you know, I said it at the beginning. It was important. People said, "Don't bring him back at all." I'm like, "No, no, no!" Like, you cannot go into the summer not knowing if your body still works at this level. And then, then the next step I said at the time was, he's going to want to know if he can play at the workload they expect him to pay. Like 
he expects of himself, that number one goalie workload. And, you know, 60, 60 games is, is probably that sweet spot. I think they talked a little bit about maybe even getting it down to 55 at the beginning of the year. But I think the reality of where they are and what they can afford to spend on backups says it's probably going to be 60-plus. So I understand why he would have felt it was important and they may have felt it was important that he go into the summer knowing that his body can handle this workload a 60 game pace and that he can go from day to day and game to game and manage that. I mean, he's made a bunch of changes in how he trains um, while he was out. Like there's some significant adjustments made and buying into that and getting the trust of that and knowing that it can be sustained without some of the discomfort and pain that he was experiencing even before the injury. Like there, you know, we've talked about it. Like there were hiccups in the movement pattern um, wear and tear that led to the injury to know that you can play without having those hiccups return because your body's sore. That's important. That's important to him. Could you have achieved it with a handful less starts, maybe three or four less, you know, talking to him probably 10 days ago, about how good he felt. I think you probably could have, you probably could have, let's say shut it down, but you probably could have backed off at that point a little bit more than they have. But Hey, I, I mean, I was the one arguing throughout that they would want, that level of play or that, that sort of um, those numbers and that he would want those numbers to feel good about it heading into the summer. And it's, it's pretty much what transpired. So um, it'd be hypocritical of me to critique it because I believe at some level to him, it was important. Um, could you have gotten there without quite riding him this hard? And yeah, yeah, you probably could have, but um I also, like I said, I have a tough time sort of ripping on them for it because I know what this meant to him in terms of going into this summer, um, trusting his body, trusting the changes he's made and how he trains it, and feeling like he can come into next year with these changes and be that 60-game guy. Kevin Woodley, our guest, uh, how good has Demko been since he returned from injury? Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. I apologize, guys. I just had to run to the vets, which is never a good thing, never a cheap thing either. But oh, this everything guy was okay, awesome. by the way. But yeah, well, I mean, um, my chameleon's giving me the side eye right now because we pulled over the side of the road. And she doesn't like it, but <laughs> right. I think everything's all right. Okay. Okay. So um, yes, I have a chameleon. Very so, good. So um, <laughs> I don't have his numbers in front of me, but it was, uh, you know, it started like plus four um, percent through those first six, seven games, which is like. Above expected, that's people like, what is a 4% adjusted save percentage means? It means that every 100 shots, you're saving more, four more goals than you should. Um, you know, when I last checked last week, it was down to plus 1%, which still sort of puts you in the top 25 of the National Hockey League this year, um, but it wasn't quite the same level that he started out at. So it had dipped. There's been some, there's been some mix of great and average performances in between, uh, I, I would expect he'd be about that same level. So, again, overall, it hasn't been last year Demko performance-wise relative to environment, and that some of that is just like the environment isn't nearly as hard, so he doesn't need to, you know, he's, he's not seeing as many shots. It's going to be hard to sort of, re, like, this is a good thing, that it's going to be hard to repeat the levels he had last year in terms of relative to expected. It's tough to do when you're not as busy as he was last year. Um, but you know, he hasn't, hasn't been quite to that level, but obviously he's been better than everything they were getting to that point, including from himself at the start of the season. And like I said, even beyond the numbers, 
and the adjusted numbers are great, and they provide more context than anything else. But what it means to the team, right? Mm-hmm. Like what it means to be confident in the guy behind you and to trust that even when you're making and – and we saw it early under Tockett, right? Like, and, and Tockett talked about this. When you're making these changes and you're trying to get buy-in from a group about the importance of playing a certain way, it helps when there's somebody there to pick up the odd mistake, right? It was tough at the beginning because they felt like they were playing better and not getting the results because when they did make a mistake, it felt for a while there – like most of those mistakes ended up in the back of the net. And that's a tough way to sort of build confidence. And so um, as much as his numbers haven't been to the level they were last season quite, they're still a notable improvement. And I think you can see what it means to the team to have him back, Mm -hmm. even if they're not leaning on him quite as heavily as they were before. On the whole, right? Like we've seen nights where they have for sure. But on the whole, over this 17-game stretch for him, the workload has been – there's been busy nights, but the degree of difficulty has not been what it was before. I mean, I still think we we view Demko then. I mean, Vasilevsky, we talk about him being in a tier of his own. Do we still view Demko as being a goalie capable of being in the same discussion as the Sorokins, the UC Soros, Shesterkins? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no question. Like, You see the desire. You see the drive. You even see it in the fact that he goes out and finds ways to get better while he's hurt. Like, he didn't rest on his laurels during that time. Um, You know, he found new ways to train his body. He worked on mindset stuff. He talked about this. Uh, You you know what the physical tools are. I I absolutely believe that. Like, the only difference between Vasilevsky and that next tier, which includes Sorokin and Saros and Demko, Actually, I'd put those two in a second tier, and the, the only thing that would keep Demko on a tier below them is consistency. Like, year after year, it's really, really hard to do from one year to the next. It is not easy to achieve, and we've seen that. We've seen it in Shesterkin. I didn't include him in that list because he's notably down from last year. Still playing at an elite level, yeah. but nothing like what we saw last year, right? So um, it's really hard to do this year in and year out. It's really hard to stay healthy as a workhorse number one year in and year out like Vasilevsky have. And, that, and that's why he's at the top of that class. So, um, But I believe he's in that tier right below that. I believe he's a number one goaltender. Like He's proven that he can be that. And I think what we saw at the beginning of this year was more just an environment that, that you know, like I've said before, like they went from being bottom third to bottom three. And you know, it kind of reminds me of John Gibson in Anaheim. Like, Man, when you're seeing that all the time and you there's no predictability in terms of what's happening in front of you, that's a real tough way to live as a goaltender. And it almost that, that drop from 24 to 30 is almost exponential. It's not six or seven spots, you know, in the rankings defensively. It, it, it's a lot further than that. And so as long as they can stabilize that environment somewhat, I still think he's perfectly capable of being that guy and providing you a lot of value on this contract. It almost feels like that shows up because we expect Emco to be great, you know, but um, even Delia, you know, I know he's only made four starts and tomorrow will be his fifth since Demko's returned, but, you know, he's looked a lot better just playing in a more traditional backup role. Yeah, and I, you know, and I, this is the one thing I would have liked to have seen, you know, if if we're talking about maybe backing up the minutes of Demko and finding a way to do that. And I, I'm not sure, Sat, you'd know better than me, but I'd heard the answer I got on this was, you know, maybe um, in terms of roster and cap wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have liked to seen what 
Spencer Martin, who is the you know the other guy under contract next year, whereas Delia isn't. I'd have liked to have seen what he looks like behind this environment, giving him a chance to get a little confidence and see if he can show what he did um, last season. Because don't forget, it kind of reminds me of Eric Comrie in Buffalo, quickly overlooked um, because his raw numbers aren't great. But the environment he played in front of was and has been all year the worst in the National Hockey League, mm-hmm. 868 expected save percentage. Like, you're never looking good behind behind that. And I think Spencer sort of got stuck in that role as well. And I think with a more stable environment, you'd get more out of him. Um, and I'd be curious to see whether they, to what degree they believe the same heading into next year, given, like I said, it's just him and Silov's under contract behind Demko. So, um, you know, Delia has made some really nice strides in his game this year. Um, when he stays within himself, when he doesn't extend, when he doesn't reach, when he doesn't chase, um, he, he, and he does that less and less as time has gone on here. You know, he looks like a guy who'd be really good for that role. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure, depending on what that free agent market, like they may have done a whole lot of work here to build up a goalie who looks better at the end of the year than he did at the beginning. And somebody else is going to reap that reward next season. We'll have to wait and see um, what the market shapes up like for backup goalies. But you know if it's anything above sort of the very bottom of that scale and that million-dollar range, they probably can't afford it, which mm-hmm. is ironic because the other thing they can't afford to do is play the wheels off Thatcher Demko. Again. Yeah. Well, that's going to be the conundrum for next season, you know, and, and maybe yeah. having Arthur Silovs and using him up and down gives you some cover. But to my biggest question is, and I will move on in, in a second, is if somebody goes down for 20 games, if Demko goes down for 20 games, can you handle that? And that's a big question for the organization. But turning our sights to the postseason and when we look at okay what are some teams who are some teams that could surprise and maybe go far we know the islanders if they do get in they have sorokin that can be somebody that you know obviously can knock a team off should we be watching the winnipeg jets more closely as a team that could do something given the way connor hellebuck's played are you or has connor hellebuck been as good as people think he's been Connor Hellebuck is the best goalie in the National Hockey League when you are attacking him in straight lines. Mm. And when the Winnipeg Jets limit the laterals, um, he's absolutely a guy that could carry you on a playoff run. As soon as you go east-west, those numbers fall off considerably. Um, he's still a hell of a goalie. He's still a top-five goalie in the league. Uh, you know, Despite his heroics this season and despite what Elliot Friedman said uh, somewhere this morning because it was all yeah. over my Twitter feed, um, he would not be one of my three Vesna finalists. Mm-hmm. You know, the adjusted numbers, the adjusted save percentage um, comes out side the top 10 last I checked or just flirting with top 10. And again, this is not a knock. This is a team that leans heavily on him. But if that's where you fall, I'm not moving you into the top three, um, you know, in terms of voting. And so, like, it's a tough one because he means so much to that team and they lean on him so heavily and honestly, like, if, if they can limit laterals, he could steal a series. He could steal two series. If you can make him go east-west, it's, it's an entirely different conversation. And so I'm curious to see what the first-round matchup looks like. Um, I don't know if it's set in stone yet, whether it's Vegas or um, Colorado could have a chance to move into that top spot to get um, the, the bottom wild card. Uh, be interesting if it's Vegas because in the past I don't think they've done a very good job of having a pre-scout and attacking goalies' weaknesses. They've just kind of gone out and played. 
uh, and that might play right into the hands of the Winnipeg Jets. But, um, like, he's – like, hey, listen, like, he's one of the best goalies in the league. He's in that conversation. I just think there are other guys that have had better seasons, and I think that his success in the playoffs is going to be dependent on that one key factor. Like, if I'm doing a pre-scout, I am east-west all day, every day, every chance I have an opportunity to do it. And um, I, I just think the numbers are so stark head-on versus lateral – uh, that that would be my hesitation to to declare him as a uh, you know the guy who's going to steal the series, even though he's perfectly capable. It, I don't really see a ton of upset potential this year. I mean, the the top teams just look so good. Is there like is there uh, something you look for in upset potential when when looking ahead to the postseason? Um, I mean, I, honestly, I normally look at there's a defensive metric. There's an underlying defensive metric that has been a really good predictor of head to head playoff success over the past number of years. And that's sort of high danger, five on five, what you give up in expected goals, specifically on the high danger stuff. And so I use that as an indicator. And then, and then the question is, is that on the teams that aren't as good at it, at it, do they have a goalie that could steal it? Like Tampa dipped last year in that metric after being one of the best teams in the league and by that metric predictable Stanley cup champions, the previous two years, they took a huge step back. The difference is, so, so the question becomes was the difference Vasilevsky or was the difference, even though they, they took a step back in that metric and that statistic and that defensive play last season, it was still in their DNA. And once it got into crunch time down the stretch, they started to play like that again. So, it's a bit of a it's a bit of both I think in that case like there's only so much a goaltender can do especially over time um, so yeah I, I, I don't know that I see a ton of goaltender driven upsets in these playoffs like if the Kings pull off an upset Yunus Corposal is going to be part of it but the reality is they're one of the best defensive teams in the National Hockey League yeah and it's going to be about sustaining that in the playoffs that allows them to have success so um, Sorokin certainly capable of stealing a series. I think Shesterkin versus Vanacek is going to be really interesting if that's indeed how it pans out um, over on the eastern side of the draw in the first round because Shesterkin hasn't had it this season that we've seen. Uh, I tracked all his goals a couple nights ago, and, man, I could not believe how high the percentage is on low high. Like, if you move the puck and attack from below the goal line up, um, he becomes very human, or at least he has this year. Uh, drifting through his save positions, not getting good rotation on quick pop passes from below the goal line to dead angles. Like things that we didn't see in his game have been there this year. He's very gettable if you target those things. And yet Vanacek, he's like, I I put it in fantasy football terms. He has a great floor, nice high floor. He's not (laughs) going to beat himself. But if you create dangerous chances, he doesn't have a high ceiling. So like all these matchups are going to be fascinating, but I think a lot of it, and I shouldn't say this as the goalie guy, a lot of it is how the team defends and what they permit. Can you create the types of chances that you know will succeed against that goaltender, much like Hellebuck in the laterals? Great to say that we can win if we can create them, but are the Jets going to make it easy? No, because they haven't all season, which is why he's been so good. Uh, you know, we have two questions. We have another one about the Vesna, but I have one before we get there uh, and before we let you go, Kevin. Ilya Samsonov, his numbers, his goals against average, pure save percentage have been pretty solid. 
is he legit in terms of being the backbone Toronto could could rely on, or is goaltending still going to be a big Achilles heel for the Leafs? Well, I mean, see, Toronto's one of those teams that checks out in that metric and has for a number of years. You know, the narrative was always that they were this wide-open run-and-gun team that didn't defend and they leaned on their goaltending, and that hasn't been true since Freddie Anderson left. I don't even think it was true in his last year there. Um, they just need goalies that don't cost them games. And so Samsonov's, they talked about Demko being around plus 1% on the expected save percentage. Samsonov's like plus 0.7. Like, he's below that on the season. He's better than where Jack Campbell was in each of the past two years, but not by much. And so a lot of those raw numbers that you see, they're inflated by the way the team defends. I don't know what his raw save percentage is, but it's, it, it's largely a reflection of what he faces. And the thing that worries me, because I think they're more than equipped as a team and the way they play to knock off the Tampa Bay Lightning, even with Andre Vasilevsky, this year more than any other year. And let's not forget they came pretty damn close. You could argue the goal that was called back in Game 7 was the difference. Last year with Jack Campbell, you know, grading out in the 30s in adjusted save percentage. Like, that's all they need. And I think they, like, there's, if you call that an upset, then that would be one that I, 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 I don't want to say confident, that's one I could see happening in the first round. But it's also one where, even though the defensive numbers tell me Toronto, I'm still nervous about the goaltending, and it's for this reason. He's given up too many low percentage goals, and those tend to be the backbreakers. And when I was charting his goals last night, actually, and going through every goal he'd given up, I was shocked at the number of clean looks, some of them in the slot, but around the edge of the slot, like clean looks off the rush, sometimes top of the circle, outer edge of the circle, how often he gets beat on just clean look shots off the rush. And we know, we talked about Demko and what a lift he's been for this team. We know how deflating those can be. We know the numbers say when you give up a low percentage goal and the other guy doesn't reciprocate, your team loses 87% of the time. And so as much as he's outplayed Matt Murray on the year, he's also given up more of those type of goals. And when I look at it on the pre-scout and see some of the tendencies that lead to it, and I know what Tampa's capable of, I'm more nervous about that than I am confident in a defensive metric that normally – I would bet heavily on, put it that way, in terms of being a good predictor. That's one where goaltending might be a difference. He's capable of it, but there's also elements of his game throughout this season that sort of show you he's capable of the other thing as well. Uh, Before we let you go, do you have a a Vesna favorite? Yes. Can we stop arguing about stupid things? It's Linus Allmark. Yeah. (laughs) No, like, the only argument is that he didn't play enough. Yeah. You know, because I remember, like, he, what, he played 49 and 140 of them. Yeah. You know, and I remember there were years where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of who it was, like, Craig Anderson had ridiculous numbers, but he barely got to 40 games. You know, so what's the threshold? Is 45 enough to get you there, or, or he's not going to quite hit 50, close to 50? Is that enough? Because that's the only argument. The only goalie with a better goal saved above expected by clear sight is UC Soros, and that's based on volume. On a per-shot basis, you know, sort of, you know, you think your shot rate, like your expected save percentage rate, there's nobody in the National Hockey League that has been better than Linus Hallmark. Yes, his expected save percentage is higher than a lot of goalies. It's like the sixth highest in the league. But, like, I hear all this Sorokin noise, 
and Sorokin's expected save percentage is only six points lower than than Allmark's, and Allmark's outperformed his by almost like three percent, and Sorokin's only like one point eight. Like, no, that's not that. I'm sorry, Sorokin's a brilliant goaltender, but if you're arguing he should win the Vesna based on some of the public metric numbers, um, they seem out of whack, frankly, and I think they're overcrediting him for what he does in that system. The only guy with an argument is Soros. He's 10 points lower on the expected. He's also 10 p- points lower on the adjusted. Like he, again, Allmark has e- outperformed everyone on a per-shot basis this year. But Soros has also seen like 600 more shots than Allmark. And if that workload is enough for you to make a difference, then, hey, I'll listen to that argument. But to me, it's Linus Allmark. It's a, almost a historic type of season. And... Yes, the team is easier to play behind. And yes, there's a ton of run support there, but it doesn't change. You still have to be good behind that team. And relative to environment, nobody's been better than Linus Allmark this season. Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, there he is, Kevin Woodley. Yeah, uh, get the ch- chameleon home safely. <laughs> the goalie guru. Yeah. Providing a little bit of insight onto why Demko played as much as he did yeah and like you said could you have played him a little bit you know a couple less starts sure but again we're talking about a couple starts yeah that's what we're talking about here and the way Dealey has played is it a guarantee and the team's played that he would have lost both of those yeah maybe one of them and we'll see maybe those two points are going to be the difference between ninth and 11th and and then we'll look back and see how see i told you right but there was a lot of logic to why Demko played as much as he did and i think woodley's done a really good job of outlining that I don't know uh, too many people that are more plugged in on the goalie scene in the league, but obviously here in Vancouver as well. And so when Woodley says it's important to Demko to be able to put this workload together after returning from injury, I'm going to believe it. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, what Woodley had to say about Thatcher Demko and his workload and why the Canucks played him 17 of these final 23 games since he returned. Well, tomorrow night will be game 23, and we're expecting Colin Delia to make that start. You are listening to Canucks Central.